Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Elf. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the mail room at the basement of the Empire State Building, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. I'm here doing a podcast because Don just introduced me, and I'm fine. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Good evening, everyone. Wait, I forgot to give you a hug. (laughs) Uh, Tonight, we are kicking off our holiday special. We are looking at Christmas movies, and tonight we are kicking off with 2003's Elf. What do you guys think of that? I liked it. Did you? Yeah. I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of Elf. Yeah. I mean, how can you not be? In the upcoming weeks, we will be doing more holiday-themed, ending with our Christmas episode of the, would we decide, the sequel to the greatest Christmas movie of all time? I thought that's what, where we had left it. Yeah. That's, we're going to be building up the holiday spirit as we get closer to the big day. I love it. Okay. I can't wait. I am super excited. And the fact that we're starting with Elf... I mean, shit, it's just going to go, it's just going to go fucking south from here. Can't wait to see what we do next. <laughs> Released on November 7th, 2003, Elf was directed by John Favreau, the screenplay by David Birnbaum, and it stars Will Ferrell, James Caan, Zoe Deschanel, Mary Steenburgen, Ed Asner, Bob Newhart, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, Elf was made for a, I would say, modest, maybe, $33 million. And it looks like worldwide it brought in 225 That's pretty good for a movie that nobody expected to do well. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure nobody wanted to make it either. Because at that time, Will Ferrell hadn't starred in a movie. John Favreau hadn't made a big movie. So there was a lot of just low expectations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So this is, in fact, John Favreau's second film. He is just coming off with Made that he made with Vince Vaughn. Uh, Did you guys ever see Made? I have not, but actually I saw some previews for it, and I'm kind of interested in seeing it now. That's really good. I never never saw it either. Yeah, Favreau plays a boxer, and it's kind of the story of his life, and it's it's good. So did you hear about uh, some of the casting choices for this movie, who they were originally looking at? Uh, No. So originally when uh, David wrote this movie and he optioned it out to a, a uh, producing company, they wanted to make it a Chris Farley movie. Oh, actually, I did hear that. Um, I could totally see it as a Chris Farley movie, I for think sure. It would have come out way more slapstick, and I don't think it would have become that holiday classic. Well, you'll never know. 
So you can speculate all you want. I think that if Will Ferrell doesn't do Elf, you're right. You're losing something magical that obviously has happened. But that's not to say that with Chris Farley in that role, and I wouldn't say that with anyone else, really. Yeah. Uh, but with Chris Farley in that role, it could have been just as magical. Well, I love. I think I love Chris Farley and everything, but uh, the writer David he basically said that. He, you know, the way he planned this movie, the way he wrote this movie was kind of, you know, he lost his father at an early age. And so this movie was basically reconnecting with his father is the way he kind of saw it. And so when he heard that they wanted Chris Farley, he purposely kind of waited them out until their contract was up so that he could option it elsewhere. Yeah, well, he obviously felt uh, very passionate about it. So the other one I heard was uh, they're also considered very strongly Jim Carrey. For the role of Elf. Yeah, uh, fuck that shit. That's what I have to say about that. I don't see, I, you know, he plays really good characters, different, you know, in these different movies. I can't see him playing like this childlike character that Buddy turned out to be. I can, and I can see him being super fucking annoying at it too. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. There was a particular theme that David Barenbaum really wanted to have carry through during the arc of the story of Elf, and it, all comes it all stems from his childhood affinity to uh christmas classic movies that he grew up with and these christmas classic movies were something that he was uh resolute in determining that it would hopefully stay as part of the essence of the story of elf he wanted to make sure that you had just the right tone the innocence the happiness the joy and the wonder that people have when it comes to uh, the adventure of the Christmas spirit. Sure. I think that Elf is one of those movies that at the time it was released and, and just the impact it had on the world, really. um, It was one of those special, special moments because you have a bazillion holiday movies, right? And you have the argument all the time of what is the greatest Christmas movie ever. Elf is in that discussion, you know, and depending on who you are, it might even be the best, but it's at least in that discussion. And that came out in 2003. Uh, is there any other films that you can think of Christmas films that were made after 2003 that are in that same discussion of greatest Christmas movie ever? No, I can't think of one It's yeah. because they're not there. Right. So, I mean, this, this was magic and it really, it it was like a bit, it was a puzzle that all came together and Will Ferrell fucking just slam dunked it. So professor, you brought up a great point of, he wanted it to kind of spark that, you know, childhood Christmas kind of movies like represent. Do you know which particular movie he was trying to imitate a lot in this movie? Well, maybe not imitate but pay homage to yeah good term rudolph the red-nosed reindeer yep exactly the stop motion version of rudolph if you look at that movie um the elves costumes are exactly the same they even have like the snowman character is the same um the snowflakes yeah i was watching the you know the the uh, the movies that made us on netflix and he was talking about the issues that they had, that they had went to the people that made, and I can't remember their names. Rankin went, and Bass. Rankin and Bass. Perfect. Thank you. They went to them and asked them for permission to use a lot of the elements and the colors and just the styling of that movie, and they made an agreement. 
I think it was like a gentleman's agreement. I don't think anything was on paper because halfway through filming, Rankin and Bass decided, no, we don't want to give you permission to use this. And they had to work out a whole new deal for fear of having to refilm everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember the moment I saw it and uh, when it came onto the screen and, and the cred- even in the credits, you have that old-timey uh, holiday Christmas special from Rankin and Bass. And so that immediately takes me back to my childhood whilst watching this film. And then the fact that they did pay homage or use the themes from it, it was fucking brilliant. You know, it, nothing screams Christmas more than that. What I love about the adding in the stop motion characters and imagery, things like that, is you're right, Don. It takes us back to our childhood while also making it very kid friendly for young, young adults. That was something that John Favreau very much wanted to have as well was his family to be able to sit and watch this movie as a Christmas classic together. And, and he got his wish. Favreau being who he is today, I mean, that guy's had a great career. Yeah, he certainly has. He's, he's come a long way from, you know, where he started out. And I, I think that, you know, catching people at the right place at the right time, you know, and they get a little bit of that kismet going on. Yeah, you get Iron Man. <laughs> and then 10 years later, you write your own check. Right, and he's now he's doing the Mandalorian. Right, you know. So. Right, he, he's practically rewriting the Star Wars universe. Yeah. So let's talk about this cast. We have mentioned Will Ferrell. Uh, are you guys a fan of Will Ferrell? I find that, <laughs> like with a lot of things, there's two kinds of people in this world: people that like Will Ferrell and people that absolutely cannot stand him. Where are you guys on the on the Will Ferrell? I've always line? liked him. Have you? Yeah. I have a very limited. Uh, uh, acceptable chart, if you will. Uh, I, I love him in Elf, but I also love him in Talladega Nights. And then he's had a, a lot of movies that are just, I think, subpar movies that are like... Uh, so for the most part, I only uh, appreciate him. Saturday Night Live skits, Elf, Talladega Nights. Sure. sure. Have you seen his new spirited movie streaming? No. The wife watched that the other night. You should like that, John. I did. I watched it. Of course uh, he did. He plays a very, I think, buddy-like character in it. Does he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the other thing going for it, it's a musical. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's why you'll really like it, Don. Well, I kind of, I think I've lost my uh, access to Apple TV, so, oh, well. What are you going to do? Uh, James Caan. As the father, what do you think of that casting? Oh, I fucking love that casting. And and I heard that, you know, everyone was scared before he got on to set. And when he got on to set, he was like, don't worry, I'm going to be just fine. Um, I did hear one story that uh, I really found amusing is uh, Favreau wanted to get something out of him. And uh, <clears throat> he went up and he talked to James Caan and then he left. They did the, they did the, sh- they did the take and that was actually, and that's the actual take they use in the film. And it's when Hobbs is telling Buddy to fuck off and get out of his life. And they said, you know, what did you say to James Kahn? And James, uh, John Favreau said, I reminded him that he was Sonny fucking Corleone from The Godfather. And I just thought that was so fucking cool, you know, because it was the fucking Godfather, right? Originally, they wanted Gary Shandling. Yeah, I heard that too. And he turned it down. Well, thank God. I think James Conn was the perfect, you know, down character, kind of the, you know, uh, straight man to Will's, Will Ferrell's overacting. 
Uh, you say overacting. I say childlike exuberance. Maybe exagger. Maybe exaggerated is a better word because you know he over exaggerates things. And I say childlike exuberance. Okay, you know semantics. Uh, Zoe Deschanel before she does New Girl. Did you guys ever watch New Girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've watched, I think, the first season, and then I kind of just, you know, forgot about it. Yeah, uh, I thought she did great in this. I, I liked her. Her Jody. singing voice was fantastic. Yeah, Mary Steenburgen. What'd you guys think? I had a little bit of problems with her. Did um, you? Only because her and James Con and having the son Michael. I'm thinking, and it's no no issues with this, but did they adopt? Because he's awfully young for the two of them to have a kid. <laughs> Did did you not question that at all that they were kind of an older couple? No, uh, no I didn't. Um, but now that you say that and looking back, yeah, well, I, it could be a good question. Now here's another question for you, and I think you're going to get this pretty quick. She's Will Ferrell's mom in another movie. Uh, probably my favorite Will Ferrell movie overall, and that would be Step Brothers. There you go. Ed Asner as Santa Claus. I thought that was perfect. Perfect casting. Yeah, and then Papa Elf. None other than Bob Newhart. I thought that was a lot of, I thought that was great casting there as well. Yeah. I think I read that Ed Asner and Bob Newhart, John Favreau decided those were definitely, he didn't even have people try out for those parts. Those were going to be the actors. Yeah. Bob Newhart said that he, about half of the fan mail that he gets is just for Elf. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. I love Bob Newhart. He's just an icon. Yeah. So Ed Asner he passed away in August 2021. This guy has over 400 acting credits. What the fuck, man? That's incredible. 400 acting credits? That's a career, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, and and so passing away in 2021, he still has seven projects in the pipeline. Oh, really? Yeah. I so, believe it. So he, he, has, he has three for 2022. And then he has another one in 2023. But yeah, he's got a total of seven. There's there's one project that's announced, one project that is currently filming. It's like, what? Yeah, well, his shit's in the can, apparently. That or he just, you know, is that a heart of a worker? I guess. So James Conn, he passed away in 2022. And also of note, he has three projects that are still to be done. You have uh, so one that's in post-production. You have one that's filming right now. And then you have another one that is announced. Wow. Yeah. And that's with Lou Gossett Jr. And I'm thinking, and, and he's one of the top build cast. And it's like, okay. Well, clearly they haven't updated it yet. I, I, I wonder if those projects are even I don't still know. going. You know what I mean? So this movie was kind of crazy. It's a wacky movie. It's a great movie. Do you know where most of it was filmed? Uh, yeah, it was filmed in a abandoned mental institution. See? Well, at least mo- at least most of the interiors were. Yeah, it seems to fit. Yeah, and uh, a lot of it was on location. A lot of the exterior shots. Uh, I love the fact that uh, a lot of it was guerrilla style. Mm-hmm. They just rolled up on the sidewalks pulled the cameras out, started to shoot, and went with it. Well, that's what they did at the the end of the filming. The last scenes are that they filmed were actually Will Ferrell just running through the streets of New York and talking to people, and pretty much John Favreau running up behind him, getting people to sign waivers. So, like, the scene where he runs up and the guy's crossing the street dressed, you know, he's got red and he kind of looks like Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. That guy had no idea what was going on. He yeah. was not an extra or anything. And uh, the filming in the Lincoln Tunnel, 
It was just Will and the cameraman. Mm-hmm. So I dig that. I dig that about that production. Did you hear that that actually caused a lot of accidents? Oh, I'm sure it did. Yeah, people kept trying to figure out what was going on, and they were trying to watch him as he was walking through the Lincoln Tunnel. Well, yeah, people don't know how to drive as it is, and then you get Will Ferrell dressed up like an elf in the fucking Lincoln Tunnel. Yeah, it was no-brainer. Of course there was going to be accidents. You ever tried to drive in New York or been in a car in New York? Oh, yeah. I've, I haven't driven in New York, but I've been in cars in New York, and yeah, ain't no joke. I still have PTSD from one taxi cab drive in uh, New York. Yeah, but you have PTSD when the wind blows. So, I mean, you in a cab in New York in the first place, probably not the smartest of ideas. But, you know, you got to get around. You should be be sedated. Oh, oh, from now, if we ever travel for whatever reason, we'll have have to BA them (laughs) from the A-team. Yeah. I'm not drinking the milk. Uh, You will drink what I fucking give you and you will like it. On Christmas Eve, a baby at an orphanage crawls into Santa Claus's sack and is unknowingly taken back to the North Pole. After the infant is discovered at the workshop, the elves name him Buddy after his diapers brand label and Papa Elf adopts him. Buddy is accepted by the elf community and grows up thinking that he is an elf, but soon learns he is really a human. Papa Elf explains that Buddy was born to Walter Hobbs and Susan Wells and that Susan put him up for adoption prior to her death. Walter now works as a children's book publisher at the Empire State Building in New York City and is unaware of Buddy's existence. Santa reveals that Walter is on the naughty list due to his selfishness, but suggests Buddy could help redeem him with some Christmas spirit. So the movie opens with Papa Elf, and he gives us the three jobs that the elves can do. And the three jobs, the first one is uh, uh, a uh, the shoe guy. The cobbler? The cobbler. The cobbler, yes. The cobbler. The second one is uh, is baking in... in the Keebler elf. The, the Keeb- tall house. Yep. Yeah. And then the third one is working in Santa's workshop. Right. Or, or the show, as they call it. And then after that, we go right back into celebration at the North Pole with... Uh, we got Buddy... And he is in his crib, and somehow he figures out how to open up that crib, and we get our first glimpse of Santa. I love the low angle shot of the boots walking across the floor towards totally, the Christmas tree. Totally, yes. Or when uh, Ed Asner turns around and his eyes are in the light, but the bottom half of him is in the shadows. Mm-hmm. It looks really nice yeah. for a Christmas movie. I like it when he uh, bites into the cookies with that kind of sinister look in his eyes. Yeah. And so you know that the baby's going to make it into the, the sack. Yep. Right. So he gets back to the North Pole. They're celebrating on a successful Christmas. And voila, Buddy is now at the North Pole. I thought it was funny that they're like, uh, what do we call him? And they look at his diaper, and it's the brand name. So naturally, we have Buddy. Interesting enough that uh, the scene with baby Buddy sitting on Bob Newhart's lap. Did you know who that baby is it's john favreau's son yeah it's his own son so yeah that seemed to work out and then probably we're what maybe five minutes into the movie and now we have grown-up buddy yeah so that was nice how fast we jumped right in i have to say that this movie does move and i appreciate the hour and a half ish runtime that it comes with but uh what i found interesting here is when we're introduced to buddy in the uh north pole or at uh, Santa's workshop, that they're using the force perspective. 
And, Just about to bring that up. And uh, how everything that you see is practical. Favreau didn't want to use CGI. And, you know, stories go that he was even reluctant to use CGI in Iron Man. But that's a different podcast for a different time. But I thought what they did with the Force perspective really worked. And uh, just knowing how they did some of the shots, watching it again yesterday, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that's fucking awesome. So, yeah, great job. Well, again, going back to that, uh, the movies that made us on Netflix, if you watch that, they show how they set up a lot of those Force perspective shots. Uh, including like, you know, how did they get big Will Ferrell to sit on Bob Newhart's lap? Yeah. And it was just some interesting techniques that they used. I guess in one part, when they were first getting ready to film it, they spent the whole day just trying to set up one shot and never even got the shot. Right after that, they got a rhythm and they started getting them all done. Yeah. I think they said something like, was there over 40 force uh, perspective shots? Uh, 42, I think, but I could be wrong. And then we come to find out that Buddy, you know, is kind of clumsy and he's a human living in an elf world and, you know, the beans are spilled and Buddy finds out that he's a human. Well, before that, when I love when he's doing the Jack and Box, that's one of my favorite scenes is when he's building the Jack and Boxes and each one's scaring him. Mm-hmm. Did you hear how what uh, John Favreau did to him with that shot? Yeah, he had a remote control with it. Yeah, and so the actual shock and kind of scare that, you know, Will Ferrell gives us in each one is because Favreau is randomly pushing that remote. Yeah. We get Buddy falling short on his elf duties, and as a result of him falling short on his elf duties, he is confronted with Papa Elf telling him the truth about him. And in the meantime, uh, Buddy does get to go see Santa Slay. And doesn't Papa Elf say you... The Kringle 3000. Yeah, you you are going to uh, take over fixing this from now on or whatever. And it was also a great example of... Foreshadowing. And so, you know, that's just how this movie went. I know we mentioned earlier about the casting, but in these scenes, what did you think of uh, Bob Newhart's portrayal of Papa Elf? I thought it was great classic uh, Bob Newhart. He is somebody that stutters just a little bit and he always plays his lines very straight yeah this movie was perfectly cast and bob newhart i bought that he was papa elf moment he was on screen the moment he started narrating i'm like fuck yeah i'm totally in and the music when the music starts is so cheery and gets into your heart yeah oh my gosh the music the way the music carries this movie along so effectively uh you know lifts us along throughout Wonderful, wonderful uh, music selection. I think this theme song should be put on those Christmas compilation albums. You know, the ones with Silent Night or all the ones that come out that you hear during Christmas. The theme song to Elf should be on there. Uh, It is is such a a wonderful payoff at the end of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. We also have a quick tie to another Christmas classic, one of Julie's favorite Christmas movies of all time with Ming Ming. Yeah, he is Peter Billingsley. He is um, Ralphie from Christmas Story. Yeah, yeah. Remember when we showed the class Christmas Story? Mm-hmm. What a debacle that was. Yeah, they didn't like it at all. They, fucking shits. How did they not like that movie? It because it, it, it was made in 1982. It it feels whenever it was. It feels dated. Way dated. Tired. Yeah. Have you watched a Christmas story? Christmas story? No, not yet. So we find out that Walter Hobbs uh, is a book publisher in New York, and you know, 
James Caan, as we mentioned. He's on the naughty list. And I thought that scene when, uh, you know, Santa's talking to Buddy, and I love the way Santa does talk to Buddy, because Santa knows, right? He's, he's not fucking stupid. And he says, uh, he says, Buddy, there's something I want to tell you. Your dad's on the naughty list. And Will Ferrell's... No! Is so it makes me chuckle every single fucking time. This movie can is guaranteed to make me laugh at some point every single fucking time, and I've seen this movie a gazillion times. That's the great thing about Elf. Yeah. So it's put out there that maybe Buddy should go to New York and meet his dad, and maybe just maybe get him off that naughty list. You know, it's interesting that this movie starts off kind of with you know Buddy, like the story is basically you know. A you know human who's been living with the elves goes to you know rekindle or to make a relationship with his father and gain a new family and like that's the whole storyline. But it's also in a way a story of Walter getting off the naughty list. Uh, sure. So it's almost like there's two plots going on in this movie. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Did it bother anybody else? And I understand the style they were going for. But why does the penguin have two eyes on the same side of his head? Because that's how he was when Rankin and Bastrom. I don't know. It just I, it's the one thing that always bothers me in this movie. Interesting. Uh, interesting thing to focus on. I pointed it out to Julie, and it ruined the movie for her, too. Yeah, well, good job. The narwhal. Who voiced the narwhal? John Favreau. Yep. It's one of, I think, three roles that he had in this movie. Buddy travels to New York and finds Walter at work. But Walter mistakes him for a Christmas gram messenger and has him ejected. Buddy heads to the local Gimbel's department store and meets Jovi, an unenthusiastic employee with whom he is instantly smitten. Hearing that Santa will be at the store on the following day, Buddy redecorates the store overnight. However, realizing that the Gimbel's Santa is not the genuine article, Buddy unmasks him and causes a brawl in the store that the manager breaks up. Walter reluctantly bails Buddy out of the police station and takes him for a DNA test, confirming that Buddy is his biological son. Dr. Leonardo convinces Walter to take Buddy home to meet his stepmother Emily and half-brother Michael. Walter and Michael are unnerved by Buddy's strange behavior, but Emily insists that they care for him until he recovers. Michael warms up to Buddy after they defeat a gang of bullies in a snowball fight and encourages Buddy to ask out Juvie on a date. During the date... The two fall in love. So I love the bit of uh, Buddy actually getting to New York. And then uh, you have that quick montage of him. Pennies from heaven. Getting acclimated with the city. That is such a joyful ride. And uh, I love how Santa says, now you might see some candy on the ground. Gum. Don't fucking eat it. Right? Um and then when Buddy gets to New York, he fucking sees it, and he immediately starts to fucking eat it. But that Pennies from Heaven is one of my favorite sequences in this film. Yeah, they have several wonderful montages that are able to pass time along as we get to see Buddy on his uh, learning journey as we, the audience, catch up with what's going on with Buddy. Yeah. Did you have a kind of a favorite thing, like him going through the revolving door, him eating the gum... Uh, him finding that Santa Claus guy. Was there any of those little clips that you thought were most amusing? Oh, no, I thought they were all brilliant and worked together wonderfully. 
same. I, I enjoyed all of them. What about you? I don't know. The one where he goes into the coffee place to congratulate them on being the world's best coffee. Fucking hilarious. Absolutely. You did it. I've done that a couple of times in New York, too. Have you? Yeah. People aren't amused. So. Well, I've almost been hit by a cab a few times in New York, so. Oh, well, there you go. Stay out of the fucking street, buddy. So then he gets to the Empire State Building, and uh, he heads up the elevator. Ooh. So pretty. Looks like the a light. Christmas tree. <laughs> I think we've all been in an elevator where some kids done that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and shit, I was the kid that did it. So there you go. And then that gets us up to uh, Walter Hobbs' office. And he is mistakenly think, he's mistakenly thought of as a, sing- a singing telegram. Well, I mean, he walks in dressed in like a fucking elf, right? And Amy Sedaris is... Uh, Hobbs's uh, assistant, mm-hmm. and I love him, her and Buddy's interaction as well. She's so positive. He's so positive. What could fucking go wrong? Of course it's a fucking Chris's Graham, right? <laughs> I did read that one of the things that she's doing at the time is she's uh, looking up stuff for, I guess it shows that she's living in a trailer park, that you know she's got a mobile home or something. And when we first see Walter Hobbs, he's looking at a brochure to buy a new Cadillac. So we're supposed to right there get a hint that he doesn't pay her enough and he's a stingy boss. And I, I got to say that when Buddy gets into the office, Walter plays such a, I think, classic, sardonic, down, tough-as-nails New York person that just is not happy about things in general. Right, right. He's just kind of like, can we just get on with this? And Yeah. And he's, but he's like, get on with what? And he's, aren't you going to sing me a song? And then, you know, Will Ferrell, come on. Our introduction of him also is with him reviewing that book where they left out, I guess, the ending of the book. The two last pages are missing. Uh-huh. So, again, we get a good impression of what type of guy Walter is and why he's on the naughty list. Yeah. Who sent this guy? I, I don't know. Maybe we should call security. I like to whisper, too. <laughs> always popping up there's so many memorable moments of this film and the fact that buddy stays so positive even after he gets thrown out of oh i know just tell my dad that i love him and that he's the greatest dad in the whole world uh the guy that tells him to go back to gimbals the security guard you know who that is yeah it's john favreau's brother was it john favreau or was will ferrell i thought brother? it was will ferrell's brother i think brother. it's will ferrell's brother oh well it's one of the two it's one of their fucking brothers nepotism is yeah. alive and well in hollywood so he starts off across the street, and then you have Winter Wonderland starting, dun, 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 and then he gets hit by the cab. <laughs> Fucking love that. And then, I'm okay. And then the music And he sta- apologizes, what I and, love. And the music starts over again as yeah. soon as he goes in the store. And then, um, this is the bit where he walks in, the lady sprays perfume at him, and he starts to eat it. Yeah, he, go, he goes through, uh, he gets that perfume, and then from there, then he goes to... trying to conquer the escalator oh my gosh the escalator and then then after he conquers the escalator then have you seen these toilets they're ginormous (laughs) he's just running amok inside a gimbal is this for the uh, time where we actually get also that gift for someone special that's what follows yeah for that uh, a gift for that someone special yeah which i love because later on in the movie he gives that to walter because walter's someone special did you catch at the very end that Walter regifted it? No. Yeah, if when they're in the very end where they're showing them all opening up their Christmas Oh, does he presents, give it to uh, the wife? You can Emily? see it, you can see it hanging up in the background on a chair or something. Like that. <laughs> oh, that Walter. And then he gets grabbed by 
Wanda. What are you doing down here? Oh, I fucking love that. Do you know why he had the badge that named, said Wanda on it? Yes. Why is that, Don? I do know, John. Do you know, Ken? Yes, Don. I do know why. Do you know, John? I, I believe I do. I think John does know because John asked Don and Ken if he knew why Wanda was well, on asked, the name tag. I asked you. I didn't ask Ken. Oh, you asked Don, not Ken? Yeah. Okay. But Ken knows as well as Don knows. So, Ken, fire away. Because Wanda Sykes was originally hired for the <laughs> for the for the role and at the last minute she backed out and the uh the actor Faison was insistent on wearing her name tag fucking brilliant and it it it's because uh Faison and Favreau were friends and Favreau called him and said hey I need you to do this and the fact that he wore the Wanda tag so funny uh and a side note if you guys ever want to see a good John Favreau uh Vince Vaughn Phase on movie, Couples Retreat. You check that out. That's pretty oh, yeah. funny. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. I yeah. love that movie. It's fucking funny, right? It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was perfect as the Gimbal's manager. 100%. Did he have a name or was he just Gimbal's manager? I think, Besides it, was just, Wanda. I think it was just Gimbal's manager. Okay. And, and then he wore uh, Wanda's name tag. Yeah. So, so he, he, he takes Buddy upstairs to the North Pole. Are you, are you mad? Are no, you mad? no. Just, just get over here. <laughs> Welcome to the North Pole. This isn't the North Pole. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> I no, love that. And he's so, <laughs> it's so good. And then this is where Buddy first uh, lays eyes on Jovi. Yeah, and uh, it has, uh, it's pl- it's playing Santa Baby, and we get to fall enchantingly under the spell of Jovi. Yeah. Do you like what you see? It's nice to find someone who appreciates elf culture. And then they have their little conversation about a, a little singing discussion about right. how singing's not a big deal. Yeah, you can sing. Anyone can sing. It's just like uh, talking, but raising your voice or making your voice go up and down, you know. And then he does the bit, and then uh, Wanda. Hey, there's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. And then if you look at Jovi's face, she's kind of enjoying this banter that's going back and forth. And this whole time, I love that they think that Buddy works there. I thought it was funny too. Good. They think he works there, but yet his elf costume doesn't match anybody else's. Right. It's it's uh, it's nicer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like a handmade elf suit. And then Buddy gets to work on starting to transform the North Pole. Right. Oh, well, that's because, because Santa's coming to visit. Santa! Oh my God! I know him. Oh, it's so funny how he's so excited. He has such a childlike presence. His frenetic energy. He's it, he, <laughs> yeah. So, true story. I'm in uh, Virginia a couple years ago, and uh, it's during Thanksgiving, and I walk into a mall with a friend of mine, and we see Santa, and she does that exact same thing. She screams. Santa Be- because a fucking elf. And yes, I had to get Santa pictures, but that's not. And how quickly there. were you two escorted out? <laughs> well, fuck, you would have thought that we should have been, but yeah, nobody cared. Okay. Yeah. So this I think we get another montage here of Buddy redecorating, you know, the North Pole in Gimbals. It's the nutcracker suite, isn't that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of that whole sequence? I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I was the first thing I thought was how was he able to separate all those Legos to make the city? Because you know he had to break open the kits that were in gimbals. So yeah, what a time-consuming well, pain in the ass. All I know is that skill must have come in very handy when he did the Lego Movie. 
Did you notice that when we kind of finally get to see the end result is not only did he make, you know, the decorations look nice, but he actually wrapped, pre-wrapped all the toys on the shelf so that they were already gift wrapped. Fucking awesome. During this time, we also get to see Walter uh, reminiscing and remembering about Susan flipping through the old yearbook. So he's starting to maybe come to terms with like, maybe this guy is... Maybe. Maybe there's something to it. The photo of Susan, another little trivia uh, in that picture, who played Susan? Isn't that the the producer's wife? It's the writer's wife. The writer's David's wife. wife. Yeah. And then we get the shower scene. Yeah. Um, I have to say this is probably one of my favorite scenes uh, because it's so low-key... And first of all, I love that song, Baby It's Cold Outside, even though it has to be one of the most stalkery, creepy songs out there, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is probably why I like it. Wait, John, that, that didn't take you out of it? No, uh, Elf gets a zero because of that song. It was stalker and uh, creepy. If it had been the actual Bing Crosby version, then maybe, but no, I like Zoe Dashiell's voice. I like enough that I was okay with it. And then we get that little shot of Buddy sleeping in the store window as Walter's walking by. Just circling back real quick. My favorite bit in that whole shower sequence is when she she tells him not to look and he covers his eyes and he runs. He runs right into the fucking locker. (laughs) That whole whole scene again, that's another one of my favorites. Yeah. And so, yeah, he is in the window sleeping and Walter happens just to be walking by and uh, Buddy happens just to wake up. And, you know, now Walter thinks, "Eh, maybe, right? Well, I got to ask you both as parents, uh, and you know, I've got a, the step kid, uh, Joey was just like buddy in this scene where he's dad, dad, dad. And you know, the father is pretending not to him. Dad, dad. Do you ever do that with your kids? Oh, sure. Well, why wouldn't I? And it's because of times, uh, when we get to dad, we'll, we'll get to that one later. Uh, yeah. But that's why I have the same reaction of Walter does at that moment. <laughs> And then Buddy tries sneaking back into the Empire State Building, but he ends up getting caught. Just give it to my dad. Yep. And uh, he gives him the gift. And when uh, Walter opens it up, it's the special negligee. But there's also a card. And in that card is a picture of, it's the picture that Santa gives Buddy of Walter and Susan. And so now Walter's like, okay, maybe I do got to do something about this. I got to investigate it. Yeah. But, um, we, uh, we jump back to Jovi and she, and she sees buddy. Hey, I want to talk to you. That's right. And so this is, uh, where Santa comes to town. And I think this is probably my second favorite scene of this movie is because of how excited buddy is that his pal Santa's going to be here, but it's not the real Santa. And buddy's the only one that knows that immediately before this. So there is another disarming moment that happens as their conversation between Jovi and Buddy wraps up, by the way, I just wanted to tell you that I think you have the most beautiful singing voice in the world. And we begin to see that 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 tough New York exterior begin to melt a little bit in Jovi's face, that Buddy is truly who he appears to be, just a genuinely innocent, happy person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but while they're talking, is this the bit where... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, because uh, Wanda... Walks up and goes, have you seen this place? It looks uh, a little too good. Right. And I like how Jovi says, yeah, they're kind of pissed about this. <laughs> but uh, after the whole, you know, uh, Papa's got a brand new bag bit, he looks down at Jovi and he goes, six inches, girl. And she's like, it's impossible for six 
inches. <laughs> so good. And then, yeah, here comes Santa. And, uh, I mean, this, this scene is quotable and it's so fun. And I, I was thinking about it, uh, and, and your paper kind of confirmed it for me or, or someone confirmed it for me, but I was thinking about when I watched it, uh, after buddy has his confrontation with Santa and they start going at it, uh, when Santa attacks him and starts knocking down everything that buddy did, I kept thinking to myself, I hope they got that in one shot because if not, they'd have to rebuild all of that mess. And yeah, they got it in one yeah, shot. Exactly, did it all in one tape because nobody wanted to rebuild any. Oh of it. yeah, fuck that shit. The other thing that they did apparently is film it with a green screen, so the kids were put in later uh, because they didn't want to emotionally scar the kids. Oh, that's a good call. <laughs> they were also afraid with all the pieces flying and everything flying around that some of the kids might get hurt. Yeah, sure. So Walter uh, ends up getting a phone call. Buddy is in jail, and he has to go down to bail him out. I love to seeing him sitting in that prison cell. And he's just, he's watching the guys do chin-ups uh, chin ups, and he's just kind of freaking out. Well, you know? I, I liked when he does get bailed out and he's walking out and he's like, see, I told you someone would come get me. Nobody thought somebody would come get me, but you came and got me. Yeah. And then he says, officer Tom, this is my dad. He was the one I was telling you about. <laughs> and then we go off to the doctor's office to get a test to find out. Is he really Walter's son? And I love the uh, cotton balls bit. Do you know what those cotton balls were made out of? Cotton candy. They were undyed cotton candy. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, but I just, I originally when I thought saw this movie, I thought those were really cotton balls. And I'm like, how is he doing that with all those cotton balls in his mouth? Well, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Will Ferrell, right? Mm -hmm. If it was, in fact. that'd be horrible. cotton candy makes so much more sense. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so he gets the DNA test, and it turns out that Buddy is, in fact, Walter's son. And uh, I like the bit where uh, Buddy's in the waiting room. My finger feels like it has a heartbeat in it. And he's talking to the little girl. Yeah. And he's like, uh, so what do you want for Christmas? And she's like, Susie talks a lot. And he's like, I'll put in a good word. I know the big guy. <laughs> well, I like how he's explaining his life to her. And he's like, you know, I'm a human that was raised by elves. And she's like, well, I'm a human that was raised by humans. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we have Buddy and Emily meet at home, and they have dinner together. Uh, I love this scene. Uh, I love when Buddy comes home. I love how accepting uh, of Buddy Emily is, and, you know. She's so open. Really, and you can feel it, and I think Buddy feels it too. And you think she, she'd have to be to be able to put up with Walter. You know, Walter is so disconnected from his family and she's still making the marriage work. She has to be such a good person. Oh, I, I agree. And, you know, the scene before when they're having dinner and he comes out and gets his dinner and goes to the bedroom. I like Michael says, hey, can can I go eat? I got a bunch of work. I got a bunch of work. I'm falling behind. <laughs> uh, the whole thing with putting the syrup on his spaghetti. So do you like sugar? Is sugar and syrup? Yes. Then, then yes. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, they had to film that a couple times because after the first time, uh, Will Ferrell threw up. Uh, that was uh, that was the next scene over the in breakfast. the morning. Oh, the breakfast yeah. that he threw up? Because yeah. I was watching that and uh, last night, and he takes one bite, and he doesn't do anything with his mouth because it looks like he's going to fucking hurl, but he's fighting through it. And oh, I was just like, oh, that's yeah. fucking gross. Supposedly, he had headaches on set and a lot of issues from all... 
I mean, he was really eating all of that candy all the time. No, oh, I believe it. I mean, his performance shows. We elves tried to stick to the four fruit groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. <laughs> Do you notice, uh, going back to Santa's workshop, that where coffee would be in the break room, it was actually just a thing of syrup? Oh, no, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure this won't be the only time I watch it during this season. This right. is Elise's go-to movie as well. All right, so you mentioned a little bit earlier when... When Buddy is going to bed and dad, 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 that sounds exactly like my daughter a million times. Oh, absolutely. I'll see your daughter and I'll raise you my son as well. <laughs> he does. He'll, he'll do dad, dad, dad. And Hobbs' ex- uh, expression when he walks in the door, what? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, I guess the tickle fight, uh, James Conn didn't appreciate that. Mm-mm. The actual James Conn didn't appreciate that. But Will Ferrell just kept pushing him. So I did read an interview with James Conn that they're going making this movie. He would often tell Will Ferrell, you're overacting it. You're going too far. You're ruining the movie. And it wasn't until after he actually saw the final product that he realized what Will Ferrell was doing. And appreciated it that much more. So you know what all of that means? That James Conn has no idea what he's talking about, right? I think that's fair. Because clearly it worked. <laughs> well, I I don't know. How many comedies had he made before this? Who? Uh, James Conn. Oh, it didn't matter. James Conn is a name. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... But the fact that Will Ferrell didn't care, and or he believed it in a different way, and Favreau believed it in a different way. At the end of the day, everything we do is opinion. Mm-hmm. So, And then the next morning... But he has made his breakfast. And this is the bit that you're talking about where he's getting sick. Where he takes the my favorite bit when he's doing the all that is when he takes the Pop Tarts at the At the end and, and, and he mushes it all yeah. up together. He just shoves it in. Oh my god. One of the things I liked was that he had made uh lunch for his father and was gonna hand it to him. He's like, No, I'll just yeah, I'm fine. I'll stick to the coffee. Yeah, it was just yeah. a bag full of spaghetti and syrup. But he he makes it for Emily too. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and then in this time as well. Lose the tights right now. Oh, yeah. And so he strips down. Yeah, And we he, hear the scream. Yeah, you knew that was coming. Makes a, makes a rocking horse out of the entertainment center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did, uh, did you sleep well? Yeah, I got a whole 40 minutes. <laughs> and then back at work, Walter is in deep shit because he has a bad book release that his boss comes in and storms in on him. These last two missing pages come back to bite him in the ass. Mm-hmm. And he signed and it shows that he signed off on the two blank pages. So yeah, he clearly was he was not in the right mindset. Yeah. He was gonna sell his uh writers down or whatever his proofers down the uh river. Yeah. Blame it on them. Yeah. yeah. As a result, he has to pitch a new book on Christmas Eve that's ready to ship in the first quarter. And so this is it. This is his ultimatum. Right. Right. And uh, during this time, uh, Buddy goes and waits for Michael to get out of school. And this brings me to another great, fantastic scene is this snowball fight and the bonding that's happening between because, Michael and yes, yes. and uh, Buddy. Right? I, I like when uh, Buddy first gets hit by the snowball. Son of a nutcracker! <laughs> <laughs> that's just perfect. <laughs> Yeah, fucking classic, man. It's a fucking classic. Uh, another classic moment, obviously. You know, he tells uh, Michael to make a snowball. You know, make some snowballs. And Michael makes, like, what, one or two? He gets one done. One done, and Buddy's got, like, what, 30? Yeah, and then they win the uh, they win the snowball fight. I like the last snowball, though. 
ah, shit, one got away. And he's all, hold on. And Snowball. You, you can even hear the without hearing it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he Tracking. launches it and just fucking nails him. Yeah, you hear the so kid good. scream. Yeah. And then uh, then you get the they fucking get- Stevie Wonder tune, which is probably one of my favorite Christmas songs as well. And now we have kind of a quick quick montage of Buddy and Michael kicking it, and they're going to Gimbal's. And they're you know. jumping on the beds. They're jumping up and down on the elevator. I can confirm that malls do not like it when you bounce on the beds like that. They will kick you out. Because <laughs> you saw somebody do that once, and that's what happened? Something like that, yeah. Which mall did you go to? I went to uh, Bellevue Square. Were you the one jumping on the bed? I can neither confirm nor deny that. What do you think? What are the chances? Don't say 50-50. No, I don't think he did it. I want to say he did, but am I giving him too much credit? I did it and got injured. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, Part for the course. And so uh, Buddy and Michael see Jovi, and Michael notices that Buddy likes her. Do you like her? Who? Yeah. And he's like, you should take her out to eat. And this this whole new concept, it's, it's a whole new concept for Buddy. And you can see like a newborn looking at things for the first time and he starts to figure it out. Yeah, I do like her and I do want to go eat. And one thing Favreau said about this movie is it had a lot of influences from the movie big. He even associates this movie with big. And it was this scene that I could really see it of, you know, the relationship of Michael to buddy was almost the same identical one with Tom Hanks and that character. What was his name? The friend and big. Oh fuck dude. I don't remember. Well, anyway, it just felt like them. at this moment, Buddy was basically the same age as Michael. It almost felt like. Yeah. Well, I mean, Will Ferrell does look old and he, I guess he, yeah, he is a much older, mm-hmm. but he's playing brother. like a, you know, a boy in a man's body, kind of a similar theme. Oh yeah. And then Buddy and Michael bring home a Christmas tree. Oh, so good. Um, How are we going to get this star up on top of the tree? Hang on. I'll take care of it. I would love to do that. Uh, one take, one shot. Uh, they call it the Texas switch. Will Ferrell goes off camera. The stuntman's in the wings, comes in, jumps, does the bit, and that was the take that they used. Meanwhile, Walter's publishing company is failing after the last book flops. Walter's boss, Fulton Greenway, expects Walter to have a new book ready by Christmas Eve. Walter and his team secure a meeting with best-selling children's author Miles Finch. But Buddy interrupts the meeting and mistakes Finch, who has dwarfism, For an elf. Buddy unintentionally insults Finch before the latter attacks him and leaves the meeting, upon which Walter loses his temper and disowns Buddy. Heartbroken, Buddy writes Walter an apology note on an Etch-A-Sketch and roams the streets. Upon finding Finch's notebook, Walter and his team scramble to create a new pitch. As Walter prepares to pitch the book to Greenway, Michael arrives and informs Walter of Buddy's departure. Realizing his mistake, Walter quits his job and walks out with Michael to find Buddy. Meanwhile, Buddy sees Santa's sleigh crash in Central Park, attracting a large crowd. Santa explains that the sleigh's engine is lost and cannot fly without it due to a shortage of Christmas spirit. So Walter, Walter's in a scramble, right? Because that last book was shit and he needs to come up with a new idea. And he's having a, a meeting with his writers and his writers suggest hiring another writer and that whole bit with james con he says uh so you're my writers and your idea is for me to hire another writer and they're both like yeah and he stops and he goes 
yeah, I like it. <laughs> so, uh, enter Miles Finch. What who, do you think of Peter Dinklage? Oh, I fucking love Peter Dinklage in anything that he's in. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's fucking hilarious. He he owned this role. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he's got great comedic timing, and, you know, he plays that uh, smug, cocky type really well. I mean, even going back to Game of Thrones, so. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed having Buddy in the mailroom, and and he gets up to uh, the, uh, the the suction shoots, and a- a- as he experiences it for the first time, you know, he gets up there and he's like, "Oh, it's sucky." This I feel like embodies the unbridled excitement, the enthusiasm, and the wonder that Buddy the Elf perpetually has throughout the entire arc of his story in the movie. And it is his wonderful innocence and honesty in how he looks at everything in life that is so endearing to his character in this movie that just really sells the movie. Oh, 100%. And I like I like the bit where the dude starts to put the whiskey in his coffee, and he's like, ooh, serpent coffee? Why didn't I think of that? The actor that... <laughs> that played that part when he auditioned, it was for a part that was supposed to be someone in their twenties to play that role. And he came in and they asked him, what's your age? And he goes, 26. And obviously that guy's not 26, but Favreau thought it was so hilarious that he's like, we got to put that guy in the movie and have him say that. Yeah. Great scene. So what, what temperature did Miles Finch want, want his car at 71 degrees. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) I'll give you five hours, not a minute more. It works. They book Miles Finch to come in. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Buddy had asked Jovi out on a date, and Jovi accepted. And so now... Uh, they head out for coffee. And uh, I love I love her reaction, right? She's blindfolded, and she says, oh, it tastes like a crappy cup of coffee. And she takes off the blindfold and she goes, it is a crappy cup of coffee. Uh-uh. Uh, but the bit that I like the best out of this whole date is we, we get another montage, right? The uh, door. And, and then they're skipping. Right. And uh, you make me feel so young. Mm-hmm. I think it's Frank Sinatra. Sinatra. Yeah, it is Sinatra. Yep. And, uh, it just feels so good. It does. and But the bit that does it for me that I really go, oh, it's fucking awesome is when uh, Buddy takes her to look at the Christmas tree and he's all proud of it because he thinks it's all big. And, and she's like, wait a minute, you haven't seen anything yet. And then he takes her to the tree in Times Square. Well, she takes him, yeah. And his reaction to it is so genuine and it's just, it's pure joy. And he does such a great job of bringing that to the screen, which is why this is quite possibly a perfect Christmas movie. So I really, really enjoy this bit. You're absolutely right. Scenes like this that makes Will Ferrell the perfect casting for this. Yeah. And then uh, they go ice skating, and he kisses her, and she says, you missed. And they're in love. Cute line. They smooch. They smooch. Now, did you notice that when he goes and breaks into his dad's office the next morning to announce that he's in love, he's wearing the same clothes, but they're all disheveled. His tie's kind of off to the side a little bit. I mean, Buddy got a little action. Dude, don't start making this into one of your hooch cooch movies, okay? Buddy was walking the streets all night because he was in love, 
And he was singing because he, that's what happens. And he didn't care who knows it. That's right. And he's no longer a boy elf. He's a man elf. He's a man elf. Uh, and this is the scene that I was referring to when uh, James Conn had to give the performance. And uh, this is where John Favreau walked up to him and reminded him. Yeah, whispered in his ear. Yeah. And uh, it's a heartbreaking scene. And Buddy leaves and is all kinds of bummed out. Well, during this whole thing, this is where we get one of the classic moments of, you know, Finch versus Buddy. Call me Elf. And he's like, one more time. What? How'd you get here? Did you come down on a reindeer? (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, And then Buddy says to him, he's an angry elf. Peter Dinklage kicked the crap out of him. Oh, it was so good. And then just the whole dialogue that Will Ferrell is having while he's getting his ass kicked. Call me elf one more time. Elf? Elf? (laughs) (laughs) You must be a South Pole elf. (laughs) So, uh, so good. Classic scene. So feeling that uh, he is fucked everything up, but he decides it is time for him to leave, and he writes a note, uh, a goodbye note on an Etch-A-Sketch, and it turns out Michael sees it, and then Michael runs to his dad's office, and, you know, you have your trope of where, you know, the dad has to decide, is he going to be a dad, or is he going to be a corporate man? Mm Mm-hmm. And because Walter is on the verge of maybe saving his ass, but just as easily, he could be completely losing everything. The thing right. too, is that the, the way he's going to save his ass is because Finch left his notebook behind with all of his ideas in it. And so basically they're just stealing ideas out of his notebook. A hundred percent. That's exactly what I was thinking too. It's a dog eat dog world, man. And so buddy is feeling depressed and you know lost and so he's walking along the bridge and i can't decide was he gonna jump or was he just walking i don't know if they ever really give you impression but they did say that that was a call out to it's a wonderful life yeah and it i mean it looked like it's a wonderful life uh but buddy sees santa and he sees santa going down uh, in central park so michael goes in uh well uh, Hobbs is making his pitch. Did you catch with the pitch when uh, Finch was talking to them and they were throwing out their ideas? He said, no farms, nothing with farms. And when they were making their pitch, they were stealing one of his ideas that started with a farm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Finch wouldn't throw out his best ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's trying to sway him away. But did you also notice that Hobbs starts the pitch uh, just like Finch did? I'm picturing the cover and on the cover... You know, we never get past that, but mm-hmm. it was the same exact thing. same, yeah, yeah. And so Michael bursts in and says, "Dad, Dad, buddy's gone. We gotta go. Whatever." And at first, Walter's like, "After this meeting, let's go do it, right?" And you know, I'm, I was kind of shocked you got even that, but um, it turns out that Walter is a good guy and he does have a heart. And Michael well, calls him on his shit. He he chose his family. Yeah, and he and they leave. What'd you guys think of that bit? Yeah, well, it's a pivotal moment that had to happen in order for our character to finally find his way back to being a, a genuine, caring person, which is superficially given to us at the first part of the movie. He can be pleasant, but he's he's cold. The only thing that I felt was missing is we never really got that spark of change. Like, what got him to choose? I mean, this whole throughout this whole movie, he was choosing work over family. 
what sparked him to choose family over work at this point? Like his last interaction with Buddy was basically screaming at him and telling him to go away. Is it just because he felt bad about that or was it some kind of influence? I just don't know if they kind of really got us to that point. I thought that that was revealed to us when he and Emily are talking about how little he he has connected mm. with his son and and they're arguing over uh, the Christmas tree bit. And Emily, she's she's telling him that you don't have anything to do with your son's life. You need to get back into his life. Yeah, and uh, Buddy was the catalyst to, uh, for all this to happen. And I think it's after he yells at Buddy and Buddy leaves. I think there's a shot uh, on Khan's face that he he it starts to hit him and it starts to sink in, and you can really see it when uh michael runs in and says buddy's missing and he says wait what and it takes him a second to realize what he's saying but it's at that moment he where he told him buddy has run away yeah and it's at that moment where he says fuck i i gotta turn this around and, and he does and he does the right thing he tries to politely ask can we do this another time he asks twice he does he does but i mean can you blame the dude i mean you just shipped out a fucking book with no pages on it i might have been a dick too and said if you walk out you're done and and that's what happened but the point is that walter picked his family and so uh while this is happening buddy makes it down to central park and he it is santa he's like uh he goes up to santa and santa turns around with a crow uh, crowbar uh, uh, or a tire iron yep. see that and he's like back off punk <laughs> is that you buddy uh, of all the gin joints and all the places and then he says you gotta you gotta go find my my jet you gotta go find the kringle and uh he says i will try papa taught me how yeah and it's all coming back it's all mm-hmm. coming back so juvie she's watching the news and she's sitting at home eating her ramen and buddy is shown on the tv screen you know a la bigfoot style right? oh a totally bigfoot style right and so then she heads off to central park mom she heads off to central park too and so everybody's converging on central park now buddy finds the engine and reunites with walter and michael Walter apologizes to Buddy for how he treated him and accepts him as his son. After he takes them to Santa, Michael takes Santa's list and reads it in front of television news cameras gathered outside the park, proving that Santa is real. A group of Central Park Rangers who are angry at Santa for placing them on the naughty list chase the sleigh as Buddy tries to reattach the engine. Jovi leads the crowd and those watching on television in seeing Santa Claus is coming to town, raising enough Christmas spirit to fully power the sleigh without the engine. By the following Christmas, Buddy writes a book about his life, which becomes a bestseller and allows Walter to establish his own publishing company. Buddy also marries Jovi and brings their newborn daughter Susie to visit Papa Elf. Roll credits. So yeah, this is all kind of shaping up to be a, I don't want to say thriller, but you know, we got a little bit of action going here. Uh, The Central Park Rangers, uh, who as soon as I saw this. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you say it. Oh, it it fucking felt like it. What would you guys think of this whole Central Park bit? I loved it. And we finally get to see uh, Buddy and Walter connect with each other. It's right after they find the engine. And then Walter, he comes clean with his feelings and he opens up to Buddy. And and I, I really thought that that was a very satisfying moment. 
Absolutely. A lot of times these movies put in, you know, they have to get the group back together. Or there's just an unbelievable way of, you know, plot convenience of getting people to all kind of meet. About. Them all stumbling on the engine together, it makes sense. And it kind of worked in this scene. Well, it did work in this yeah, scene. I'm just saying it, it didn't feel like it was just an easy way, an easy out. Well, I, yeah. No, it wasn't. I mean, it felt natural, mm-hmm. uh, very organic. And, uh, you know, it turns out the buddy has been helping Papa Elf, and so he should know how to fix this. Uh, but in the meantime, they have to get the Central Park Rangers off the scent. So uh, Walter <laughs> takes Santa's coat. And I love what Santa says. Mrs. Claus made this for me, you know. Yeah. And uh, he tries to run a diversion. Which is completely ineffective. <laughs> totally. Uh, but Buddy and Santa managed to get the sleigh in the air. and We do have, right before that happened, one pivotal moment, which is Michael makes Santa's sleigh fly. When he lifts it off the ground for just a moment, you made my sleigh fly. Yeah, because he believed. Yeah. You know. When he saw his name in it and saw, or when Santa says, you know, you wanted this skateboard, this Huff skateboard. Right. And so uh, Michael has this great idea and takes the book. It was a very uplifting moment. And he... Literally. (laughs) (laughs) And he runs to where all the news uh, people are. And he starts saying, you know, uh, shows shows everybody that he has Santa's naughty and nice list. And he even uh, called back to the little girl from the uh, doctor's office. You know, uh, so-and-so wants a Susie Talks a lot. And then it cuts to her and she's like, thanks, buddy. I like the guy that wanted the spa day. Uh, uh, there was a biker. A, there's a different Matt Cardigan or whatever his fucking name was. And then Jovi and mom show up at the same time as well. Yeah, Michael, are you okay? And they're like, uh, Santa needs our help. They're, no one believes Santa needs our fucking help. And then so it all comes back to Jovi and Jovi thinks to herself, best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. And so she gets up and she starts leading Santa Claus coming to town. Did you did you start singing with everybody else? Have you ever not sang at this point? I don't think it's possible. I don't think it is either. You either hum it or you just kind of mouth it or something happens at this moment. Every time I watch it, yeah, I fucking, it's I, so I uplifting. I feel like if you watch this movie with that special someone and they aren't, singing it, humming it, or mouthing it, or doing something along to that point, that it's not going to work out. Well, then maybe they're not that special someone. That's what I'm saying. That's a great way to judge somebody. Interesting. Because John loves to judge. Oh, I'm very judgy. Well, no without shit. Being, without being judgmental. Oh, no, he's both, ladies and gentlemen. Trust me. And then we have a wonderful uh, building of tension here where Santa is forced to take off before the sled can be repaired. Right. And you get Buddy run along behind. Okay, I'll just catch up. <laughs> How does he catch up? He eventually just gets into the sleigh. How does he catch up? He has elvish magic powers. We've oh. established that throughout the entire fucking film. If well, you don't believe it by now. Well, I figure that he's, you know, the suit that he's wearing makes him invulnerable because he gets hit by the car, you know. Well, look, what he, look what he does to the department store in eight hours. Yeah. I mean... And he had the snowballs. Maybe it's like his Iron Man suit. It totally is. It's filled with Christmas magic. And then we get to see the claws, the clausometer gradually work its way higher as we see more people joining in on singing the song. Cut back and forth between that and 
having the the sleigh almost getting off the ground and then the singing and the sleigh almost getting off the ground and, and the, the rangers sl- getting closer and yeah okay. and what is the thing that uh, gets it finally working Walter actually sings. Yeah, I love how he's just mouthing the word. He's called out too. That would I, be me. That totally was me. Like when we would go to the Christmas pageants at school and they would say, okay, now everybody join in a verse in that. I would totally be mouthing it. I would never sing it. <laughs> I was actually in a choir class and every time we do performances, I just mouth it. Then why were you in class? It was an easy A. Oh, okay. Well, a lazy A. The, the teacher let us give ourselves our own grades. Oh my God! So once they get the clausometer to to finally kick up enough that they get enough momentum, Buddy has the has the has the uh, the uh, the engine ready to go. They hit it and then they take off and they go right over that tower. And boy, didn't that feel just like another movie right there? I'm getting too old for this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, doesn't the the engine fall out at some point here? It gets knocked off. Yeah, but the the clausometer, you know, gets hit, full. Hit 100 with all the singing finally yeah, happening. Right. Yeah. And then as the sleigh swoops over the crowd, and then the music, the, 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 the theme music kicks in right there. So uplifting. So, so happy. I, I just, I love this moment of the movie. One of the things I, I saw in watching some documentary stuff on this is in the original screening, that's where the movie ends Yeah, is with Buddy flying away and us not knowing what happened with him and Jovi and, and Bob Newhart and all of them. We don't know. Would you have still liked it if it had ended there or did it feel like there was too much unresolved? See, that is a interesting question because had it just ended there, I wouldn't have known any better. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known any more. So it's hard for me to say that at that moment, as you said, it's so uplifting. If we cut to black right there and went to credits, it might have been just fine. We'll never know that because we get the ending bit with Jovi and the baby, which makes it feel more complete. So, I, don't, I mean, who's yeah. to say? I guess test audiences were not happy. Yeah, well, I mean, clearly they, they gave us that ending bit. So, Well, I found it extremely satisfying to have the next scene being at the piano with Jovi singing and then the gifts opening in the background and Buddy getting his gallon of syrup. I fucking love that. Did you obviously catch that the baby's name was Susie? Susie talks a lot? No, it was named after his mom, Susan. Oh, no, I didn't even put that together. I didn't actually connect that until I saw it in the documentary. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense now. And it was also kind of fun having the snow globe. The snow globe shows up at the beginning of the movie and then we see it when he's uh, Papa Elf gives it to him to take with him to New York City and then we get the snow globe at the end of the movie sitting on the piano. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Well, he leaves it on the Etch-A-Sketch when he runs away too. Sure, yep, there too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like the scene in the end when uh, Papa Elf says, you know, bring the little one to me, I want to hold the little one. <laughs> but he sits on his lap too. <laughs> you can hear the crunch. <laughs> Oh, poor Papa Elf. And you, just notice, can't fucking win. you notice Jovi doesn't do anything to hell. She just watches it happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a fucking train wreck, right? You're, you're, you're just not going to turn her away. And so that is Elf in all of its glory. Fucking fantastic movie. Um, I, I think that I, I said earlier that one of my favorite scenes that I always go back to and that will always make me think of Elf and will always put a smile on my face, and it's not because Zoe Deschanel was in the shower. 
doesn't hurt, but it's not the reason, is the baby it's cold outside. I fucking think that scene is wonderful, the way they sing together, and then how he just runs into the fucking walls. <laughs> Classic Will Ferrell. Classic Will Ferrell. Uh, do you have a standout scene uh, that jumps out at you, Professor? I really love the moment uh, towards the end of the movie. Well, actually, it is pretty much the end of the movie when Santa's sleigh is finally taking off and, and the music kicks in, and we see Buddy looking over the back of the sleigh, and we see uh, and, and we see Jovi looking back at him, and she's just smiling. I, I love that. But there's a there's a bunch of other scenes too. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. What about you? Well, for me, it was probably again going to Central Park. During the chase scenes, we had the you know the Central Park Rangers, or as John Favreau put them, his ring wraiths. And now it's time for John's. Moment. So this is the point in the podcast where I take whatever movie we're reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So for Elf. Let's just start with the easy one. Buddy is Frodo. He's on a journey to find his father, get him off the naughty list, and be part of his family. That would make his brother Sam, I mean, that would make his brother Michael his Sam, as it's Michael who helps him get the date with Jovi and convinces William, his father, to go looking for Buddy when he runs away. Papa Elf I'm going to list him as Gandalf because of his wisdom and his calm nature and just the fact that he puts Buddy on the right path. And the Gimbal's manager, I'm going with Gimli for him. Just because I don't know if it was the fact that he was kind of shorter than everybody and stout or just the fact that he kind of had that gruff nature of of Gimli. Walter in this movie is also on a journey, but he's on a journey from being selfish and self-absorbed and... To, you know, at risk of losing his family, to a loving father of an extended family. In The Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins went through a similar change of characters from a homebody hobbit to a burglar to a hero willing to risk his life for those that he loved. So really, Walter is Bilbo. Jovi in this movie is Buddy's love interest. So initially, I thought about raising or. I thought about listing her as Rosie Cotton or some other, you know, background character, but she plays more of an active role in this movie. So it's her actions in the end that help build the Christmas spirit that flies the sleigh. So I felt for that reason, she's more of a Legolas. Santa, well, he's the leader. He's the king. So he's got to be Aragorn. Morris and Eugene, Walter's story writers. While they try to be helpful, they felt more like background comic relief characters. So for me, they felt kind of like Merry and Pippin. Gollum is a character who's always just focused on himself. And the one character that stood out to me that kind of have a lot of Gollum qualities was Miles Finch. Sauron in the movie would be anybody who has the most negative impact on our heroes. And in this case, it's Walter's boss, Fulton. He's the one who drives the wedge between Walter and his family that trickles down to Buddy's relationship also with his father. The ring race, well, we already mentioned it. That's the Central Park Rangers. 
what is the precious? What is the one ring in this movie? Well, in any movie, it's the thing that seems good, but in reality has a negative effect on folks and serves another master. In this case, I'd label Walter's job and his self-absorbed nature, you know, putting into his career uh, as a child's book publisher as the ring. In the beginning, his job is his precious. It's the one thing he focuses on. It isn't until he gives up his job, just like when Bilbo handed over the ring to Gandalf, that he's able to move on to the next phase of his life. And there you have it, my comparison between Elf and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. What, I get to go? No, of course. <laughs> Dick. All right, I, uh, I I think that this was pretty average in its... Uh, story arc comparison and i'm gonna give it a c plus c plus yeah i just uh bilbo is for for walter it's like uh, jovi is legolas yeah. yeah i don't care um i think that the the parallels were there for you and i think that this was kind of a uh this is one of those movies that could uh this is one of those movies that is kind of a like a low-hanging fruit for you. I mean, it, it's kind of spelled out. The only difference I would make is um, every everyone was fine, and and Gimli might be a little bit of a stretch just to throwing him in there, and Merry and Pippin just to throw him in there. It was kind of a stretch. But what I would have done was uh, the ring, to me, was the boss. Because when Walter tells him finally to fuck off, he's freeing himself and he's freeing himself from the ring. That's just my opinion. Uh, you know, that's my two cents. You can spend it how you want. I am going to give you a C plus as well. I originally had the boss. I was looking at him as the ring, but then I thought, well, somebody has to really be Sauron, the master of the ring. And so I figured since the boss is the one running the company, the company is the ring He's the master over the company. Uh, I would have gone an actual different way because I talked about it earlier that I saw not only is this a movie that's a you know buddy on a journey, it's Walter on a journey as well to so going from being self-absorbed to being you know this family man. So I almost put Walter as Frodo as kind of a different take on it and had Sam be buddy. Would that have changed anything or would you think that's just too far-fetched? Nope. Uh, I think that would have been too far Take your C pluses and say thank you. Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> and that was John's. Moment. All right. So, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I'm ready to rate this bitch. John, you ready to rate this bitch? Son of a nutcracker, I am. Uh, hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. Anytime somebody says you want to watch that, you are down to watch that movie. A one fuck movie is something where it's one and done and you have no desire to ever see any of it again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, wait. I mean, the Central Park Rangers thundering down upon you and you are going to be trampled to death. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. I thought it'd be more of like a snowball to the face. Son of a nutcracker. Uh, who wants to go first? All right, fuckers. I'll go first. 
What can you say about Elf uh, in a negative light? You can say that if you're not a fan of Will Ferrell, that he's completely over the top and unbelievable, and it could take you out of it. Or you could um, accept Elf for what it is, and Elf is very much a uplifting can't help but feel good after you watch it type of a movie. And 90% of that is Will Ferrell. His ability to bring a childlike atmosphere and uh, his childlike demeanor and presence to the role. I mean, I bought it at, at when you first watch it, you kind of have to go, eh, is this for real? But after a while he wins you over. And then the second time you watch it, he wins you over again and on and on and on to the point where Elf is in your rotation of uh, holiday movies. It's perfectly cast. The soundtrack is uplifting. John Favreau did a great job directing this film. Everything clicked. Everything worked. And so, I mean, that alone, you're already up into the 4.5 fucks. What keeps this from being a perfect film for me is I really only want to watch this either in November or December. Chances are I'm not going to watch this in May, June, July, or any off month. Not to say that it's not a good movie. It just doesn't have the same impact. I'm singing, I'm singing my review, my review of Elf is going to be 4.75 fucks. That was weird. (laughs) Who wants to go next, fuckers? I'll go next. Elf is a magical movie that creates a humor-filled holiday classic. With every watch, this movie gives you the feels. And even after seeing it over and over, there's always something within it that makes folks smile, that makes you laugh. The casting is just right. Will Ferrell delivered a fun, enthusiastic performance that worked for this character, Buddy. I honestly can't think of any other casting for this that would have worked so well and not make it a completely different movie. James Caan's contrast to Buddy was also a perfect choice. The Rudolph theme is very evident and nostalgic. My only issue with this movie is it does is it does get a bit slapstick at times, but overall, I could easily and I do watch this movie every Christmas season, and that's coming from a Jew. So, my rating for Elf is 4.75 fucks. All right. Fucking professor, let's fucking go. The movie Elf is probably one of the most quoted movies by my family all year long. And it doesn't necessarily matter if it's near the holidays or not. It is commonplace for us to have some sort of an Elf quote happen when the four of us are together. And it is something that the family always enjoys watching pretty much every year since we discovered the movie. I don't know if I saw it in the theater or not, but it is such a heartwarming movie and it, it I think it embraces so much of the Christmas spirit that it is a treasured uh, watch anytime I choose to sit down and enjoy it. John Favreau has put together 
a Christmas masterpiece that I think is probably one of the strongest Christmas movies that uh, has happened, as you pointed out, since it came out. I, I can't think of another Christmas classic since this movie. There's, there's others that we enjoy watching as well, and I have a short list of movies that I always try to watch every year, and this is absolutely one of them. Will Ferrell and his perpetual innocence that he grew up with at the North Pole, which carries him through the rest of his time when he's not at the North Pole, was instrumental in having Buddy with this complete and total acceptance of everything is good. And it is such a delight and so heartwarming to have all of his little quotes and isms and things and how he looks at the world be so disarming for Walter, for Jovi, and how it brings his new family together when they are in their own little worlds trying to have, you know, a a successful life. And hopefully this is something that can be, you know, perpetuated in these new story arcs for Jovi and for Walter's family as well. And I enjoy seeing the family and Jovi come around. And as a matter of fact, we get to see a little bit of that happen when everybody is singing at the end. We get to see uh, the Gimbel's crew singing together. We get to see the security guards singing at the end. We get to see the, uh, uh, the, the writing crew that are uh, making up uh, what they need to get done because Walter left. And I really, really appreciated the music that was throughout this movie. It just felt so good. The music was so, so perfectly picked to convey an attitude and a feeling of happiness and uh, Christmas enjoyment and Christmas wonder. It is such a fun watch, and it never disappoints whenever I watch it. I think arguably it has to be one of my favorite Christmas movies. I don't know which one would be my all-time favorite because I like different movies for different reasons. Regardless of that, this movie is a solid 4.75 fucks. 4.75 fucks all the way around from the three guys. That gives Elf an average of, you guessed it, 4.75 fucks, which ties it with Die Hard. The Shawshank Redemption, and it's slightly better than Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, Black Panther, and slightly worse than The Dark Knight, Ghostbusters, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Such different movies. But all fantastic movies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if it's Christmas time, and I have that list that I just read, Elf is going to be the, Elf and Die Hard are going to be the ones that I watch. Come on. Right. Let me ask you guys this question, and this has actually come up many, many times. Would this movie work as a sequel? Would you want to see a sequel to Elf? No, not really. No, just just leave it alone. John Favreau has said repeatedly he'd like to make a sequel. Will be- Ferrell won't do it. And before James Conn died, he was excited that there was going to be a sequel. Yeah. But Will Ferrell says no. He no. doesn't matter what amount of money you offer him. He says, no, it's a standalone. It works. He doesn't want to you know, tarnish it at all. And also nowadays when he's been asked that question, he says he's too old to fit into those tights. He just will not do it again. Yeah, he turned down $29 million to do it. Yeah. So, 
So I think it was good a good for call him. because yeah, absolutely. That's that's what also lends to the the magic of it. Yeah. So I mean, Favreau had it already written. He had it called uh, "Buddy Saves Christmas." Buddy already saved Christmas. Yeah. So. All right. If you want to know which holiday movie we will be reviewing next, please check out the website and any social media sites that we are on. Hey, speaking of which, John, where can they find us? Hell if I know. I mean, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we go ahead and we post all of our podcasts, our show notes, movie trivia, and just anything else I feel like posting that day. You can also find us at any of the social media outlets or any place that hosts podcasts. All right. There you have it. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I also want to thank any new listeners that have been turned on to us. And I especially want to throw a shout out to Beaver. Uh, keep on listening, bud. We'll get to Waterworld soon. So for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. First, we'll make snow angels for two hours, then we'll go ice skating, then we'll eat a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can, and then we'll snuggle. The best way to spread holiday cheer... No, Christmas cheer. Is it Christmas cheer? Yes, it's Christmas cheer. Oh, he can't say Christmas. Because he's, you know. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's why it's holiday. Christmas cheer. (laughs) The best way to spread ch- Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all you fuckers to hear. Even though it kind of seems we, it seems like we just got off a holiday special, but I got off. I bet you did, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Dick. Well, what fat was dead? Anyways, no, he climbed out. Well, obviously, we watched the fucking se- we watched the show, bud. Yeah, but how many years did you and I argue that? <laughs> it's I'm still right. He just, whatever. I don't want to talk about it. It's all a dream. Yeah. <clears throat> On Christmas Eve, a baby at an orphanage crawls into Santa Claus's sack and is annoyingly taken back to the North Pole. After the infant is discovered Did at you the... St- I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you say annoying or unknowingly? I said annoyingly. Is it supposed to be annoyingly? It should be. I would think... The tone of the movie should be unknowingly. I did. I said unknowingly. You said unknowingly. You guys are fucking starting to annoying me. That sounds all kinds of wrong. What, going down in Central Park? Yeah, that he saw Santa going down in Central Park. I'm sure there have been plenty of Santas going down in Central Park. Well, that's how you spread the Christmas cheer or something else. Who is this fucking guy? I don't know. So, with 4.7 fucks from the three guys, what? You said 4.7. I said 4.75. I heard 4.7. What'd I say? I thought 4.75, but... You probably weren't even listening, were you? All right, fuck off. Good night.